co-host Austin. And this is episode 87 on Mama Mystery. Today we are going to be discussing the disappearance of Asia Degree. But before we get started, we have some new Patreons to thank. So Maggie Antle. Hell yeah. <laughs> Camille Anderson. Hell yeah. Kelsey Krenz. Thank you. Amber Hansen. Awesome. Ashley Dolling. Fantastic. Tracy Cooper. Great. Hallie Shields. Wonderful. Shanice Comer. Yeah. Samantha Snyder. Oh yeah. And Kirsten Schmidt. Right on. Thank you so much, Patreons. So our next episode is going to be a Patreon exclusive, and it's going to be on the Moody Massacre. This case was recommended to us by one of our Patreons. Thank you, Shanice. And it's a story about a boy who was about to graduate from high school, but allegedly cut his life short by killing his whole family and then himself. But as the story unfolds, corruption within the local police department becomes more apparent and questions arise as to who the real shooter was that day. So... If you want to listen to this story, go to patreon.com slash mama mystery, where you can listen to all of our episodes past and present ad free. And then you also get fun stickers every month that you can stick on your computer, your Tumblr, or you can gift them to a friend, or you can throw them in the trash. You can do whatever you want with them. And you get early access. You also get early access. Like today's episode is going to be published Thursday, but on Spotify and Apple and everywhere else, it'll be Monday. So you, our Patreons are getting a little jump start. And then one more announcement I want to make really quick. I have come to the realization that a large chunk of our audience are moms. Austin, you were right. I'll get, I'll get to that. And when I post about motherhood-related topics, I get a lot of engagement from people who can relate. And I'm often told that when I especially share stories about the tough stuff, you really appreciate it because not everyone is so transparent about their struggles, which, by the way, I can totally respect that. I've just always been kind of an open book. So... Austin came up with the idea to add like a, a bigger variety of content to Mama Mystery, and he's because right. it's Mama. Yeah, Mama. Kelly's Mystery. a Mama. I, yeah, I mean, I am and all mom. the people that listen are basic chicks that love true crime that are also not, mamas. Because I, I actually do I'm have just... some male listeners, and I appreciate you. I know you're out there. But the majority, yes, are moms. Yes. So we decided to add content to our page by creating a new segment called The Mama Minute. When you just need a moment to breathe or vent or you just need a minute to yourself, right? These will be episodes by themselves. So don't worry. I'm not going to be interrupting the true crime episodes to talk about mom stuff. These will be episodes of their own between the true crime episodes. So And they might be two minutes long. They might, might be, be 20. An hour and a half? Yeah, a minute might turn into 60. I hope you enjoy them either way. So, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. We are talking about the disappearance of Asia Degree. And Austin, you said you've heard of this one before? I lied. Of course you did. What do you get out of lying so much? What movie is that from? It's from Kevin Hart's stand-up. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We went to that live. That was fun. We did. Yeah. 
So today's case is recommended by Beth Davis. So thank you, Beth. And Aisha Jaquila Degree was born on August 5th of 1990 in Shelby, North Carolina, which is about one hour west of Charlotte. Her parents, Harold and Aquila, were married on Valentine's Day in 1988 and gave birth to a son, O'Brien, and then Aisha soon after. Harold and Aquila were cautious parents who really tried to keep their lives centered around family, church, and school. And according to an in-depth interview with Jet Mag, Aquila says they didn't even keep a computer in the house because every time they turned on the news, it was a story about some online predator luring a child away from home. However, Harold and Aquila both worked full-time jobs that essentially made Aisha and O'Brien latchkey kids, which I don't like that term latchkey kid. I feel like it has. So a latchkey kid is someone who uh, lets themselves in after school, like lets themselves into home. So they like have a a latchkey, you know, like that's where the, the saying comes from. But it's essentially kids who have limited supervision. And I feel like latchkey kid usually has like a negative connotation, um, because, you know, kids who don't typically have supervision are unruly. But this was not the case with Asia and O'Brien. They were good kids. They were good in school, good um, at sports, and they were, they were good kids. But they were often home alone after school until their parents got home from work. So Asia was known by her friends and family as being very curious and empathetic, She was a fourth grader at Falston Elementary School. She loved to play sports, especially basketball, where she played point guard. And in fact, the Saturday before she went missing, Asia's basketball team suffered their first loss of the season. And Asia was really upset about that because they lost by one point after Asia fouled out. So she took that really personally. That sticks with you. When I was younger, like, I don't know, like sixth grade, I so like as a kid, you uh, I'm like I was envisioning stuff like manifesting life, right? Like mm-hmm. so I would shoot hoops in the driveway, and I would always go to the free throw line, and I would be shooting two shooting two free throws, one to tie it, two to win it, and it's like like you're like this is what you do, right? And I remember in like sixth grade, I had a chance, two free throws, one to tie it, two to win it. I missed both. <laughs> Shit. And I'll never forget it. And it was like the roughest thing on me for years. So I relate. I sucked. I missed both and he never forgot it. No. That's real shit. That hurts. It stings. He still hasn't let it go. No. You know what though, Austin? I'm glad that you added that because I didn't really play sports. I was a cheerleader and a dancer growing up. And so I... I didn't really get a taste of like what it meant to be a part of a really competitive sport. And so some people attribute her disappearance to that basketball loss and we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But that is like a good perspective because I just some people are like would she really have run away over the loss of a basketball game? Well, maybe. It screws with you. I I I was a mess. Yeah. I was it sucks. It's so much pressure and you like like uh, this sounds stupid, but as a kid you live for that moment, mm-hmm. and then you go fuck it up, and it's like, I'm a loser. Well, and it's also safe to say, I mean, she was nine years old at the time, and your world as a nine-year-old is very condensed. Obviously, yes. little things matter way, way more when you're a child. I think I was in sixth grade, so that's what, 10, 11, 12? Yeah. 12, 12. Yeah, it was, it was like, 12, it's yeah. literally like the biggest point of my life at that point. Yeah. 
Like, I had a game where I scored a bunch of three-pointers, and that was cool. This was worse because, like, the negative stuff you take harder anyways. Yeah, this stuck with you harder. So on February 11th of 2000, it's a Friday, and Asia and O'Brien have the day off from school, so they spend the day at their Aunt Keisha's house. So Keisha lived just down the street, not far from the degree home, and later that day, Asia and Bryant both had basketball practice, and then the following day, they had those basketball games. So like I mentioned earlier, yeah, Asia's team suffered their first loss of the season. The whole team is upset about it. Some of the girls were even crying over the loss. And that evening, Asia spent the night at her cousin's house, and they stayed up late watching TV. Then Sunday rolls around. Harold and Aquila pick Asia up, and they all go to church. And then later that afternoon, Asia and her family go to a family get-together where Asia's grandmother gives the kids gifts for Valentine's Day, including some candy, which is an important detail. So that evening, Asia is exhausted from the busy weekend, and she goes to bed at about 6.30. But a few hours after going to bed, a storm hits the town of Shelby, North Carolina, and the wind wakes Asia. So she goes out to the living room to watch TV with her parents. Then around 9 o'clock that night, a motorcycle crash nearby hit a power line and it knocked out the power in the neighborhood. Usually, the kids take baths the night before school, but since the power is out, they skip baths and they just go straight to bed. So at about 11 o'clock that night, Harold runs out to the store to pick up a last-minute gift for Valentine's Day, which is the following day, and it's also their wedding anniversary. He gets home, and the power comes back on around 12.30, but Harold has trouble sleeping, so he stays up, and he's watching TV for a while. When he's finally on his way to bed around 2.30 in the morning, he checks on the kids, and they're both lying asleep in their beds. At, at some point in the night, O'Brien remembers hearing Asia moving around in her bed because they share a room. He remembers her getting up and going to the bathroom, but he can't remember if she returned to her bed or not. So that next morning, it's Valentine's Day and what would have been Harold and Aquila's 12th wedding anniversary. Aquila woke up at about 5.45 when her alarm went off. It was time to get ready for work and get the kids off to school. Since they missed their baths the night before, Aquila starts getting a bath ready and she goes to wake up the kids. So she opens their bedroom door, and she finds O'Brien still under the cover sleeping, which is typical for him, but Aisha was not in her bed. So she asks O'Brien where Aisha was, but he said he didn't know. So she checked the couch, then checked downstairs and the kitchen. She's checking every room and closet in the house, but Aisha was not there. She woke Harold up to tell him Aisha's not in the house, and he suggested that maybe Asia went across the road to Aquila's mom's house. But when they called her, she wasn't there. And it, at that point, they start panicking and call the police. So by 6.40 a.m., the first police officer arrived, arrived. And soon, more officers and the sheriff start pulling up, and they're gathering evidence and pictures of Asia. They're, they're doing what they can to get this search started. They brought in a canine, but this canine wasn't able to pick up Asia's specific scent. By 7 a.m., Aquila says every cop in the county was at their house. Reporters were showing up. Five or six news stations were there to cover the story. I mean, it was getting blasted all over that day. 
and they determined that Aisha left the house with her keys and her backpack. And after going through some of Aisha's things, Aquila discovered that Aisha must have taken some clothes with her because the following things were missing. A red vest, blue jeans with a red stripe, a white shirt, a black and white shirt, black overalls with Tweety Bird on the front, a Tweety Bird pocketbook, her candy from the day before at Grandma's house, and her house keys. All gone. All missing like she took it with her? Yes. So the first assumption is that maybe she packed up this stuff and ran away. So later that afternoon, two motorists reported seeing Asia walking along the side of the road at 3.30 in the morning and then at 4.15 a.m. The first sighting was by a man named Jeff who saw a little girl walking along the North Carolina Highway 18 in the pouring rain just a mile south of Asia's house. The second motorist to witness Aisha walking was a retired sheriff's deputy who, along with his son, saw Aisha walking but assumed at first that it was just a short woman. He circled back around to get a better look, and when he did, who we assume was Aisha, ran off into the woods along the road. So with this, investigators set up a search within a five-mile radius of those sightings, but nothing is found that could lead them to Aisha. The following day, it's February 15th, volunteers are helping with the search and they descend on the property that is just a mile south of Aisha's home and adjacent to Highway 18, where Aisha was reportedly seen walking. On this property, there's a storage shed, and when searchers open the shed, they find candy wrappers, a green marker, a 1996 Atlanta Olympics pencil, a Mickey Mouse hair bow that belonged to Aisha, and a little wallet-sized photograph of a young girl that isn't Asia but looks like Asia. But the thing is, nobody recognizes the girl in the picture. Not Asia's family, not any of her friends, not anyone from school. To this day, we don't know who the girl in the picture is. So random. Super weird. Two days later, on February 17th, more candy wrappers are found on the same property. This time, the candy matched the same candy that was handed out after the girls' basketball game on Saturday. So it definitely belonged to Asia. And her bow was there and everything else. And her bow and some of her stuff. On February 23rd, nine days after Asia went missing, the search is called off. 9,000 man-hours went into the search that produced next to nothing. All they were able to come up with were the belongings in the shed and those two sightings along Highway 18. But besides that, they were coming up with nothing, and that's why they called it off. So weird. At this point, there are two likely scenarios, both with the same beginning, though. Aisha left the house on her own free will. There was no forced entry, no signs of a struggle, and it appeared after finding her belongings that she actually packed for this excursion. Like, this was a planned thing. And after she left the house, she either veered off her original path and got hurt somewhere, or she was abducted. Over 300 calls came in with tips for Aisha's case, and every single tip was looked into, but they all led to nothing. So why would Aisha run away? I can absolutely understand the cause of this question. Like, what could be going on at home that was so awful it would make a nine-year-old girl want to run away? 
Well, to an adult, it's easy to ask that question. But to a nine-year-old, irrational child, it could have been any number of things. Like, did you ever want to run away as a kid, Austin? I don't think, like, seriously. But, I, I mean, like, in hindsight, not seriously. But, like, I think every kid thinks it at a time. Whether they get grounded and do something. Like, like every kid thinks it. Yeah, and it's usually for some superficial reason. Like, this, in this case, it could have been as simple as her parents telling her she couldn't have any more of her candy. So she just backed up her shit and left and was like, F this, be. I'm going to take my candy to the field next door then and eat it. Yeah, I think kids are so irrational that it could be anything. Yeah, I personally can remember packing a bag and carrying it all the way up the hill in my neighborhood only no. to realize, yes, I did. You, like, started doing it. I started You're lying. It. Austin. I carried my bag all the way up the hill in the neighborhood. I don't remember how old I was, but I was very young. I was very dramatic. Still are. (laughs) And after a few minutes, I realized nobody was looking for me. And maybe I made a mistake because at the end of the day, like what I really wanted wasn't independence. It was just attention. I was a middle child. Good Lord. (laughs) I was a middle (laughs) child. I just... I didn't get enough, apparently. I have very vivid memories of just how poorly I was treated as a child. Oh, my. But people seriously thought maybe she ran away because of that basketball game loss. Maybe she carried that so heavily that it made her contemplate running away. I mean, who knows? It's it, it's massive embarrassment. Yeah, and it's, it's impossible to crawl into the mind of a nine-year-old. I mean, that's... That's a very jumbled, mixed up, irrational place. I mean, trying to make sense of it is just impossible. Yeah. In 1999, 6,361 children were reported missing in North Carolina, and most of them were runaways, but none were abducted by strangers, which only makes Aisha's case that much more baffling. Even more baffling is that kids don't typically start thinking about running away until around the age of 12. So for a nine-year-old to consider run, running away is really quite young. But again, I remember when I packed my, my bag and I was on my way. <laughs> you were serious. I was pretty small. <laughs> so the sad and scary thing about Asia's disappearance is that this one irrational choice she made to run away could have gotten her into some very serious trouble, trouble she never expected to find. So... About a month after Aisha's disappearance, her family went on the Montel Williams show to bring attention to her case. Her face was also shown on the Oprah Winfrey show at America's Most Wanted, but that's really kind of the, the most national attention it got. Then on August 3rd of 2001, a construction worker is bulldozing some land for a project, and he stumbles upon this black trash bag that was in the ground. He opens the trash bag only to find that there's another trash bag inside. And in that second trash bag is a backpack. Written on the backpack was the name Aisha Degree and her phone number. The location of the bag was just off Highway 18, the same highway Aisha was seen walking that fateful morning, but this was actually about 40 miles north of the spot where Aisha was last seen. See, he got the goosebumps. This sucks. And when she was walking, she was walking south. So this is like the complete opposite direction. This leads me to believe that she was picked up that night and whoever took her was trying to dispose of her belongings by double bagging it in two trash bags and then throwing it off the side of the road. Obviously, Aisha didn't 
double bag her own backpack. She was abducted. Like, that's pretty clear. Yeah. I mean, you can get into, like, speculative theories. This makes the most sense. Unfortunately, this makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Also found was a pair of men's khakis and also some bones that were believed to be animal bones. But regardless, all of these items were flown to the FBI crime lab in Quantico, Virginia. But shortly after the items were sent, 9-11 happened, and the forensics labs was inundated with requests, creating this huge backlog. But on the 20th anniversary of Asia's disappearance, the FBI confirmed that the book bag contained a copy of Dr. Seuss's Miguelagot's pool, I don't know if I pronounced that right, and a white New Kids on the Block t-shirt that had red short sleeves and a red hem. But the shirt nor the book belonged to Asia. The book did, however, come from the school's library. But but the backpack was hers. The backpack was hers. And earlier the picture wasn't her. Right. But the, it's so like, weird. How are these things getting mixed together? It's like they abducted multiple kids. That's what I believe, too. So in May of 2016, a new tip comes in, and apparently it's credible enough. Hold on, sorry. Mm -hmm. 2016. So when did this happen again? Like 96 or something, 97? This was in 2000. 2000, okay. Yeah. God, this sucks. So you're just like 16 years later. Mm Mm-hmm. So in May of 2016, this new tip comes in, and apparently it's credible enough that the FBI and Cleveland County Sheriff's Office released information about a car that Asia may have gotten into on the night she disappeared. This vehicle is described as dark green and an early 1970s Lincoln Mark IV or a Ford Thunderbird with rust either either way, either car, had rust around the the wheel wells. How does this information come in 16 years later? That is such a good question, Austin. I don't know. I don't know who came forward with this information. I don't know why it wasn't until 16 years later. You know what it sounds it reminds me of? It reminds me of BTK doing stuff and then going oh. and prying and like being like, like t- basically teasing that it's yeah. him. Like That's nobody's a- talked about me in a while. Who the hell would know this car? It, like, it reminds me of that case where, like, maybe somebody took this girl and then, oh, it hasn't came up in a while. I'll call this in and give them some information. Yeah. I don't know where this is going to lead, but that's what I... No, I mean, I, I'm i right there with you. Um, I, I don't know. I do think it's bizarre. We have no other details as to why those two cars... Did they are... validate it? Like, how do you do... Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, like to say, oh, hey, by the way, 16 years ago... Um, I know about a car that picked her up. Yeah, like how do you remember that 16 years later and you're just like, oh, by the way, I just remembered. It sounds like bullshit. Right, but there's no other details that have been released, probably to protect the integrity of the case, but it definitely feels confusing and it's just like, what else do you have that you're not telling us then? Because something, something is missing. Something's not making sense. So in 2020... An inmate at a North Carolina state prison contacted the Shelby Star saying that he heard someone talking about killing Aisha and burying her. So investigators go out to the prison to interview him and another inmate, but this leads to a dead end. Oftentimes, prisoners will offer up false information in hopes that it'll grant them some leniency. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know why people do that. I feel like it's just adding salt into a wound. I don't think they probably have the character to really care what you think. 1, or anybody. Yeah. 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 1,000%. 
And then as of today, the FBI is offering a $25,000 reward for information leading to Aisha Degree's disappearance or just her in general. The Cleveland County Sheriff's Office is also offering another $20,000 on top of that. And to this day, 22 years later, Aisha's mom just prays every day for the safe return of her daughter. She says, quote, That's my prayer every night, that God will get into their heart and let them come forward, because it's got to be a weight on them. We're hoping and we're praying that she's had a halfway decent life, even if we didn't get to raise her. And to this day, she has not been found. That's terrible. Like, no closure ever. Nothing but, like, false hope to lean on. And right. then And then all these clues that are just, like, very disheartening and, like, pessimistic, really. Yeah. It's just a very bizarre case to think that she would have run away. Uh, you know, of course, you ask, like, did somebody lure her out? Why would she think to leave in the middle of the night? Obviously, she had this planned... Did she not talk to any of her friends about it? I mean, it just, it is so baffling. That's the the word I keep using because it's just very confusing. But I've just never heard of a case like this where a child up and leaves willingly. I mean, we talked about the Summer Wells case um, shortly before we went on maternity leave. So that's kind of a more recent episode. I think it's like 79 or 80. But the Summer Wells case, this girl disappeared, vanished from her home without a trace. How does that happen? How does that happen? And this girl is nine. Asia was nine. This one to me feels like, I mean, she probably did kind of maybe premeditate something of like, I'm going to leave. But I mean, it's like we said, it's so irrational. She could have gotten up the road and then thought just like you drama queen when you were going to leave and then but it was too late because somebody swiped her i mean with all the the cross different girl different stuff but in her belongings it makes me think she was taken by somebody who took somebody else too yeah you know that's just like what what's logical to me so like the whole thing about her leaving like why would she i don't know that's not that crazy to me it's just really unfortunate that it ended up ending the way it did yeah i mean you know since she took her backpack I thought maybe she, you know, she was walking in the same um, direction as her bus route would have been. So one of my initial thoughts was, well, maybe she was walking to school and she was wanting to get a super head start and decided to leave super early. But that wouldn't explain why she packed clothes with her. I mean, I don't know. Just to speak to irrationality and stuff of kids. um, I know a family that, and I'm going to be super vague and like, I'm not trying to mislead how this happened the way i remember this because i was i was fairly knew this family fairly fairly well this kid i think he was probably nine or ten or maybe 11 or 12 he got in trouble grounded he was wanting to go with friends or go to something a jamboree or something he got grounded went downstairs and then he was found hung and so you, you like you can't ever help but wonder like okay was he just going down there and he was going to like make this scenario and then yell for help and then hope it would get him out of trouble but he wasn't able to like you just wonder it's it's or horrible or was he really that helpless and so like short-sighted not seeing yeah. the future just in that moment like your whole world revolves around 
what's right in front of you. You're yeah. not thinking past tonight. Tonight, when you're that young, so so horrible oh, to that's think about. Terrible. Oh, that gives me a pit in my stomach. But like that's what this similarly reminds me of. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? But um, so just I just think that like decisions. yeah, the the rash decision a kid can make, you just never know. I don't know. Yeah. It's freaking terrible. But well, and another question that came up during the investigation was. Is when these two, when this car, this green Lincoln or Ford Thunderbird, whatever it ended up being, when this came into question, there was talk about why she would get into this vehicle when she ran from the sheriff's deputy to begin with. You know, when these two motorists passed by and one of them turned around to get a better look and it seemed to scare her, mm-hmm. then why would she get into the green car willingly? Or was it willingly? Do we even know? That's the thing. Like, uh, to me, unless this were like, maybe I'm just not a true crime person, like, through and through. But, like, it's, how can you even begin to try to speculate? So she got in this. Why would she do this? But wouldn't, it doesn't matter. It's not tough for somebody to pick up a person and put them in a car, like a little person. Right. Well, and if that's what happened, then where are more details? And why were they held for 15 years? Yeah. So. so anyway, that's where we're ending. at. I mean, I'm I mean, so always... sorry. This is like a totally open-ended case. There's no resolve. There's no closure. I hate stories like that because, God, I just can't imagine the ache in those parents' hearts not knowing where their child is every night. I cannot fathom it. Mm-hmm. I, I literally cannot. I hope I never have to. Oh, shit. That's crazy. So with This that, was an open-ended sucky ending. I'm really sorry. Thanks for listening. Mama. Mystery out. Bye.